so now I just want to speak a little bit about the Itipada, how they, you know, mentioned in the canon, and more in a theoretical way, and then later on in the afternoon bring it into more into personal experience. And uh, I'm just to start with the quote from the Samyutta Nikaya, which is one of the uh, four big books in the canon, the connected sayings, as how they are called. And there is a quote here where the Buddha says, Whosoever, or monastics, has missed the four roads to power, she has missed the right path leading to the extinction of suffering. But whosoever, or monastics, has reached the four roads to power, he has reached the right path leading to the extinction of suffering. So, you know, that tells us how important those uh, four roads to strength or power or the four etibada, how they really are, because, you know, it's really very important that uh, we harness the energy which we have available and not fritter it away. And that's also, I think, the uh, in the flyer which the center produced about this day long is written, it is easy to fritter away our time on the myriad possibilities of contemporary life. Following the Buddha's advice on the four Itibada, we will investigate how to use our energy for the path of awakening. So you know, in order to kind of protect ourselves from frittering the energy away, because you know the personal energy we all have is limited because we all age we get sick and we die at, a, at some point. And, you know, that's not the complete ending, of course, but for this lifetime, you know, we have a, a limited energy and it's we have to make the right choices and, and you know, make priorities and make boundaries because we don't have unlimited energy. And, uh, you know, and there we can see, you know, why for some people the practice really, you know, takes off and some of them fully awaken and why others do not. And it has a lot to do with how they kind of use the limited energy they have. And uh, so what's the secret about all of this? And the secret is to really know what matters to you, know, what's, what's your heart wish, to really deeply know what that is and then align our lives in that way. And uh, there's a little quote from the, His Holiness the Dalai Lama. He says, Awakening does not happen without a sincere motivation. So it's really, you know, it's like our GPS, you could say. If you want to go somewhere, you, you know where you're going. And then there might be tons of obstacles arising. But still, if you know where you're going, you, you just keep on inching in the right direction. And then one day you're going to get there. But if you're constantly you know, doubting yourself and doubting where you are going, then it's like on and off, on and off, and a lot of energy gets frittered away. So, you know, it's not about, uh, you know, going with a sledgehammer, but it's more like going steadily, always, you know, into the right direction. And... Uh, you know, really deeply knowing what is your, what are you wanting to do with this lifetime? What's your heart wish? That is very, very important. 
and then the three refuges and the five precepts can really help us, you know, to steady that heart wish inside of a template which is, you know, keeping us safe from wasting our energy. And, uh, you know, so it's not real, it's not willpower which leads to, you know, arriving at our heart wish, but it's, it's the intelligent application of energy. And sometimes, you know, we, we do really need to have really very strong, forceful energy, but it's not often actually. It can, it can be rather become an obstacle if we are used to that style of applying energy too much. And, uh, you know, in this day and age where we are noticing, you know, that the ways, you know, of, of doing things which we have, you know, trained in very deeply in patriarchy, which are often very willful and very goal-oriented and very narrow, you know, that that is really working not in the way we were hoping it would. Because on the first look, you know, it looks like a very powerful thing. You just go and get what you want. But then, you know, because of that very small focus, we, you know, there's a lot of of important information which is left out. And then you might arrive at your goal, but in that process, you know, you've been destroying so much that there's no more way to kind of enjoy what you have kind of ripped out, you know, of the earth or from somewhere else because it's all kind of not working really, it's all kind of falling apart. So to to really apply our mind and, and look at the bigger picture, not being so glued, you know, to those individual objects. And in the meditation before I was trying, you know, to guide us also in that, that way, you know, stepping out of being addicted to always have something to hold on to and stepping into this much bigger space of knowing and allowing what needs to be known arise. Not take not trying to take control of it because we really can't. But you know, before we know this, we, we try to create a kind of pseudo security by, you know, creating lots of thought patterns in the mind and then just trying to find some safety in that. And then once that is seen that isn't really working then you know, there's the practice is about, you know, weaning ourselves off from the dependency on those patterns and having more and more courage and capacity to be in that wide open space of not knowing and uncertainty. And then if, if you have gotten like a certain um, strength, you know, that we can do this or that we can allow this to happen, then from that way of being, you know, we are much more accurately responding to what's needed because we no longer, you know, believe that the dualistic mind is able to understand completely the way things really are. 
it is very useful, you know, in, for certain things, but it, not for everything. And it, this is what we need to learn. We need to balance that out. You know, the complete addiction to dualistic way of thinking needs to be balanced out with just being the knowing. And then we need to draw on both. We need to walk the middle way. And those, you know, those four bases of spiritual strength and power which you all have on a piece of paper here in front of you, we need all four of them, you know, to make something happen and to sustain it. In a worldly sense, you know, learning a skill such as driving a car or playing an instrument, playing a sport, we need to, first we need to know, you know, what, first we need to know what we're interested in, that's the vision, then we need to put in some effort to train ourselves. Then we need to like integrate that more fully into our lives. And then, you know, we need to troubleshoot and see, you know, where there need to, adjustments need to happen. And that then, again, you know, leads to a more refined vision. And then the next round and the next round and the next round. So any skill, you know, which we are setting out to learn goes through those phases and every phase has a different needs a different application of energy and uh, so the first itibada in Pali is called Chanda itibada and on this piece of paper it's translated as you know intention enthusiasm interest vision so you know knowing what you want knowing clearly you know, what holds value for you. And then in terms of the archetype, it's compared with a lover, you know, falling in love with something. And then, you know, it's actually quite easy because energy just flows, comes forth, you know, because the heart has been really touched. And just taking advantage of that, you know. So we don't have to do it all ourselves. You know, we can take advantage of the laws of nature. For example, when you you know, go to a teaching or, or read some quote in a book or, or see somebody, you know, doing a kind act and then the heart kind of, uh, you know, leaps up because, yes, you know, this I know this, I want this too for myself, you know, and that's, that's what's meant here. It's a... You know, it's clearly seeing what you want and from that, like, a passion comes forth, you know, which can be used for for going towards that, which you have seen, you know, which, which, which brings up this interest and enthusiasm. Like, seeing, oh, there's a way, you know. Because and there's this very natural resonance because we all have those four qualities in seed form already in our hearts. But we, if we know them, we can identify them more clearly and then we can, you know, intentionally train them. And then, you know, once we know what does the heart really yearn for, then, you know, we have to put in some energy in order to work with all of the obstacles, you know, which are we experiencing them to be in the way, but in reality, they are the way. 
because then we become, you know, we see somebody doing a kind act or we see, um, we read a quote, you know, which is very inspiring and then, you know, we feel, oh, I want to be like this or I'd like to do this too. And then, you know, the ego comes up and all of our limitations become apparent. And then to just keep going, you know, that's more like a warrior energy, like endurance, courage, energy, full engagement. You know, once we have made the decision, I want this, then all of the obstacles become apparent and we have to engage. So that's more like, first it was the passion of the, like a hard quality, and then the next one is more like strength, warrior, taking, you know, taking the sword and, and working with the, getting, you know, working with the obstacles. And then after that has kind of that phase, you know, has completed itself, then the next phase comes, which is like, again, like a more hard quality, I call it devotion, you know, integration, you know, creating your whole life around that, what you have seen earlier on as something you want for your life, you know. First you get, you work with the obstacles and then you, you arrange your whole life around it. For example, you know, you, you hear your first Dhamma talk and then, you know, there's lots of obstacles you need to deal with, you know, no time and loud in, in, in my house and my family thinks I'm weird and, you know, and all of those things. And then once that is kind of sorted out to a certain degree, then you might just, you know, have a regular practice and, and integrate with your whole life, you know. Your whole life is about, okay, in the morning I'm sitting or whenever you do, and it becomes part of your, the way you live. Meaning, you know, creating order, sustaining, administering, big picture. And that's the archetype of the king or the queen. And then, you know, getting ready for a marathon, basically. Having understood, you know, it's not just like cutting it all down and then it's all free and open. Seeing, no, this is a marathon, you know, this is like the whole life is like, it's not, not going to end. It's going to be ongoing and just relinquishing this goal orientation. You know, in the beginning we need to have it, you know, because otherwise we would never get started if we wouldn't have that, you know, that that enthusiasm. Yes, you know, I can do this too, and and it's gonna and I'm gonna be happy forever after. If we wouldn't believe it, we wouldn't start. But then, you know, that's the called the honeymoon phase. And that's necessary. But then after that, the kitchen sink phase arises. <laughs> and that's, that's about that, you know, sustaining it. And, and being willing, you know, to relinquish this goal orientation. This a maturing. And that what's needed for that is devotion. And, you know, and then we have all of those beautiful objects. They can all help us, you know. There's all skillful means to sustain devotion, rituals and sangha and, and beauty and poetry and, and all those things, you know, being in nature. They're all skillful means to bring up this, this devotion, you know, and having these things around you in your, where you live or in your shrine room or that helps you because it, it is like, uh, you know, giving you those little 
the, 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 those little signs all the time. So you don't have to hold it in your mind all the time. You just hang it on the wall, you know, and then you remember it. And, you know, and for example, living in a monastery is like a very extreme step of doing this, you know. So if I look in the mirror or whatever, see my shaved head, oh, I'm a nun, you know. So, um, and see, you know, one can go through great lengths of exploiting that capacity, you know, to get those reminders from your environment. And the monastery is all about that, you know, having even a schedule and, you know, if you don't show up, then others will ask you, why didn't you? And then you just... You just go because you don't have a really good excuse. And, like <laughs> that. and, um, and that's about the marathon, you know, really recognizing, you know, if you want to do this, it's going to take a very long time and it's going to be hard. But, you know, it's, it's the suffering which leads out of suffering instead of the suffering which is just going in circles. Mm-hmm. And that's the good news, you know. But that's the only really good news we have to give, you know, because it it is hard, the path is very hard. And it couldn't be otherwise, you know, because the ego doesn't die uh, voluntarily, you know. <laughs> and that's just, you know, that's just a maturing of the practice once we understand this. <coughs> and then the last, you know, the last stage is the, is the the investigation, you know, that you see where you've got with your, you know, integration, with arranging your life around your heart wish after you have removed the obstacles and then you see, oh, is that still actually in balance or is that still in connection with my heart wish or have, have there been some changes, you know? And then that's like the troubleshooting, you know, the in fine-tuning, adjusting, problem-solving. And then that's compared with the archetype of the magician or the muggles, you know, which then has to make adjustments. And out of those adjustments, a new vision will arise, you know, an updated vision will arise. And then there's again, you know, the warrior phase with, a, with kind of dealing with the obstacles and then, you know, again, you know, integrating. And then again, you know, adjusting and investigating. And in this way, you know, the process leads more and more into the depths and we get closer and closer, you know, to emptiness, really. Because all of those things, all of those um, skillful means, they'll eat themselves up in the process, you know. In the beginning, we need a lot of instructions and a lot of holding and a lot of structure. And then over time, you know, that starts to kind of slowly but surely, you know, to disintegrate in its own, you know, for different people in different ways and different people need different skillful means. But, you know, that's what is also very well spoken about in the suttas about the raft, you know, which is taking us over to the other shore. But then when you're on the other shore... You just leave the raft there. You don't need to carry it on your head. You can just leave it there. And and this is the same with the Fuaitibada. You know, once you have engaged with this template enough, it's gonna get lighter and lighter and less and less defined. 
In the beginning it's very clear, you know, because that's what we need, because there's a lot of confusion. But then, you know, as the confusion kind of evaporates, the necessity for the, the strict template evaporates with it. And, yeah, so it's like, you know, what does the heart yearn for? That's the first one. And that's the, the passionate lover experience. You know, I want this and nothing else. And then the next one is, you know, making a decision to really fully engage with it. That's the warrior cutting. And then the integration, you know, to really arrange one's life around that heart wish, the devotion to it, you know, getting ready for the marathon. And then the investigation, you know, does it work? Does it really work for me? The, the troubleshooter, you know, coming maybe with a small sword and making some little adjustments left and right, you know. And then out of that, the new vision arises. And that might not be any more that passionate as it has been in the, in, the, in the beginning, you know. But it's simply so because there's not so many obstacles in the way. And if there's not so many obstacles, there's not so much friction. And then there's, the passion is much more quiet, you know. And the whole thing just starts to get more and more quiet and quiet. And more and more like a sense of contentment and a sense of feeling, you know, I have arrived. And, and a, like a, a subtle joy, which is much more conducive actually for practice, then you know like a strong enthusiasm or rapture is can be you know actually exhausting, you know to be in that you know for too long. But what we are really needing is like a more subtle, more refined joy, which helps the mind to settle, you know, into tranquility collectedness and equanimity. So this, you know, it, it results in a steadiness. And uh, a steadiness, you know, which is able to be with whatever is arising, but not, not through gritting your teeth or willpower, but through wisdom and compassion, really, which are the result of practicing, you know, in this way of really understanding how the, the way things are. Wisdom and compassion are the, the fruit of that. And then we don't need any willpower. Just sometimes, you know, a little bit might be needed sometimes, but it's not. It's an exception, really. And... Uh, You know, and, and with those qualities, then it's not about fixing the world or fixing samsara because this is not possible. But it's more like about, you know, making space for it and using any experience which is arising as a, as a means for, you know, learning about the way things truly are. Because all experiences, as I said in the beginning, you know, display those three characteristics, impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, not self or emptiness. And it really becomes less and less important what we are experiencing, but what becomes more and more important is how we are meeting it. Because it's this 
what we need to cultivate, you know, these habits, how we meeting experience if something happens which we don't like. It's not about what it is, what we don't like, but how are you meeting it? Because there is like, as I said, um, or as it was written here in the flyer rather, you know, it is so easy to fritter away our time on the myriad possibilities of contemporary life. So rather than, you know, doing one thing after the next, after the next, after the next, because it gives us a pleasant feeling tone or a sense of purpose or so, it would be much more liberating to investigate, you know, why am I hooked on the next thing and the next thing and the next thing? Why am I so hooked like this? And then you know, start to see that if we are turning towards that hookedness, you know, that is much more effective than, you know, trying to control our life that we for the next thing and the next experience and the next experience. And I brought a, a poem with me which speaks to that. There's a book uh, of poems by the bhikkhunis who lived at the time of the Buddha. It's the first anthology, actually, of women's poems in, in our time. And a friend of ours has made some a new translation or a rather adaptation of it. And uh, I'd like to share a poem which speaks to that experience, I feel. And her name is Nantutara the name of the Bikuni, and she speaks about her, you know, what she learned in meditation. There's many, many different uh, poems in this book, and it's actually coming out next year with uh, Shambhala in the, in the spring. So she says, <clears throat> I spent most of my teenage years running from one bed to another. Any sign of warmth would do each worked for a while, until they got possessive or mean or boring, or I did. Then I got new friends, shaved my head, and started eating once a day. During the long, lonely nights that followed, I would remember all the nice warm baths, all the late nights and long mornings, waking up next to beautiful warm bodies. One night... Shivering on the ground, I started to cry. It's not fair. No matter what I do, the other thing always looks better. <laughs> Listen, my heart. I know how exhausting it all gets. Don't give up until you are ready to give up for real. So, you know, don't give up until you are ready to give up for real. So, and I think this... Uh, template of the four Itibada, you know, speaks to that, that we have to keep going, you know, because giving up is really not an option, because it's going to not stop, you know, and giving up and turning away is really not an option. We need to find ways, you know, to motivate ourselves to turn towards our experience. And and this template is one way, you know, how that can be 
um, understood in one's own life, you know, and then looking back, you know, if we're looking through the lens of these four Itipada, we might be able, you know, to recognize them in our own lives as well. And seeing, you know, that going to this one time is not enough. You know, like, you know, you're finding a practice, finding a teacher, you know, finding a group, a sangha, that's great, you know, but then you have to keep going because internally those cycles are going to happen again and again. And then, you know, if we are knowing that this is not just in our lives like that, but that's just like how it works for everybody, it can be very inspiring, you know, to be able to stay with the process. So, you know, that's what I wanted to speak about this morning, and then uh, maybe we can have now a session of walking meditation. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.